Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Thursday, September the 21st, 2023. It is currently 6.25 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Let me ask you a question. Do you have an Apple Watch? Do you, if you don't have an Apple Watch, do you have any other kind of fitness watch that keeps track of how many steps you're taking, keeps track of how many miles you've run, keeps track of your heart rate, and it keeps track of all of your fitness goals? Do you have some kind of fitness watch? Uh, Do you have an Apple Watch? And do you use it to keep track of how you are progressing in your fitness goals and what you're trying to accomplish? Keeping track of maybe, you, you know, how many steps you're taking, any Anything along those lines, do you have that? Do you do you have some kind of chart where you keep track of how you're doing with how many calories you're eating, how, uh, how many days you're exercising, keeping track of how many push-ups you're doing or crunches you're doing or jumping jacks and how many miles you're running? Do you keep track of anything along those lines? If, if it's not fitness... Do you keep track of, of goals that you set for yourself? Maybe at the beginning of the year, you write out four or five goals and you keep track of those goals throughout the year. And at the end of the year, you then kind of measure, you kind of ask your, you kind of look and go, Oh, I accomplish it. Now, when you, when you, when you look at all of those kinds of things, do you find it to be beneficial? Do you find it to be motivational? Do you find it to be helpful? Many people, many would argue that it's, there's great benefit in keeping track of these goals because it keeps you motivated. It lets you see where you're weak, where you need to to be put forth more effort. Do, Do you find it to be beneficial? Now, so again, some will say yes. Others will say absolutely not. It's discouraging. It's depressing. I don't want to see that. I'm just going to do the best I can, and I'm not going to keep track of it. I don't want any any kind of measurements. But some people really, really want them. But here is the ultimate question. Now, that's just kind of a general question, right? There's the do you do these things? Now, here is the ultimate question. This is the real question. How does that mindset? How does that whole system? How does that translate? How does that transfer over to the spiritual life? When it comes to your spiritual life, do you keep track of how you're doing? How much Bible reading you're doing? How much Bible study you're doing? How much Bible memory you're doing? How you're spending, how you're spending your time? Do you spend your time with entertainment or Bible or church? Do you, do you, do you focus on, on different aspects of your spiritual life and you measure it in some way, shape or form? Do you do that? And do you find it to be beneficial? Does it, it may work when it comes to fitness. It may work when it comes to exercise. It may work when it comes to calories. It may work when it comes to goals, but does it work in your spiritual life? Maybe this is the, the ultimate question that all of these questions lead to. Maybe this is really the ultimate question. Can you measure your spiritual growth? Can you measure sanctification? Can sanctification be measured? 
Because in my Christian life, I have heard countless sermons about really trying to measure it, some kind of test, a test to prove whether I'm saved, a test to prove whether I'm growing, a test to see if I'm really a disciple, a test to see how committed I really am to Jesus Christ, a test to measure my sanctification. And it's always things about how much time do you spend reading and meditating on God's word versus doing other things? How much time do you spend in prayer? How much time do you spend? How are you, you know, are you loving? Are you hating sin more? And what sins are you struggling with? And they always give you this measurement after measurement after measurement after measurement after measurement. Does it really work? Is it even supposed to work that way? Would, would you have a biblical example of like, hey, here's the way you measure it. Now, some people would go to First John. Of course, I still think First John is a polemic against Gnosticism, but okay. Is that the way it's supposed to work? What are the benefits in doing that? And what are the shortcomings of doing that? Now, we've been, we're in a series called Set Apart. We've been working on the doctrine of sanctification now for a very, not a very long time, but for, we've spent a number of hours working on the doctrine of sanctification. We've talked about positional sanctification versus practical sanctification. We've been using the uh, Bible Studies for Life Adult Personal Study Guide for summer 2023. We, uh, we looked at their lesson for Set Apart, the Holiness of God, Psalm. Uh, 99. We looked at their lesson on Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 14, uh, called Set Apart by Christ. We look at their lesson on 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 16, set apart, but not alone. We looked at their lesson on Romans chapter 12, set apart in the way we think. And then we looked at their lesson on 2 John verses 1 through 9, set apart in the way we live. We found some of these lessons confusing, confounding, just some weird ideas about sanctification, which I think is what you find in most of the evangelical church, if I'm honest with you. I think sometimes when they start talking about sanctification, they almost obliterate the doctrine of justification by faith alone because of an imputed righteousness. They almost turn justification into a works-based system based off an infused righteousness. And we've talked about all of that. But and we, we really have one more lesson to do, which is on Philippians 3, but we're not going to do that. We're going to take a detour because, oh, I bet you know what that is. Oh, come on. You know what that is, right? Can you? That's a newspaper. And you know what newspaper I keep referring to over and over and over. This is from the Sword of the Lord. This is the September the 1st, 2023 issue of the Sword of the Lord. And right here in editor's notes on page, what page is this? Page three, editor's notes, just notes the editor has written. He has a section entitled, or there's a heading here, because it's just kind of like a Almost like a a, a, tra- a, a a train of thought here, just like a just letting his thoughts out on different subjects. And in the middle of this, he has a new heading called "On a Scale of One to Ten. On a Scale of One to Ten. Oh, you know those kinds of questions. Your pain right now. On a scale from one to ten, one being basically no pain, ten being the worst pain you've ever experienced in your entire life. What are you currently feeling? Of course, if you've ever worked in the medical world, everyone says 11, 12, 15, 20. It's more than 10. Okay, right, right. Okay, all right. I'm joking a little bit. Okay, but a little bit of truth to that. But, or you know, how are you feeling? Uh, if, if it's a mental health, you know, how are you feeling currently? A, a lot of things are measured on a scale from one. 
one to ten, your favorite food, your favorite album, your this, favorite book, uh, all of this. Now, once again, here's this measurement idea, right? We measure, we track fitness, calories, goals. Well, we obviously we see how that that is used in almost every aspect of life, right? And we try to bring it over to the spiritual. But does it work? Well, let's see what they have to say. On a scale of one to 10, when a baseball player bats 300, he has failed seven out of 10 times, yet he is counted a success. If your pain level is nine on the scale, but a new medication lowers it to a one or a two, you'd be very happy about it. On the other hand, if the bank gets nine out of 10 of your deposits right, you'd be very unhappy. If your car won't start every Wednesday, six out of seven days doesn't score very well with you. So let's take an inventory and apply the scale. Now, right there just shows you the the, the same scale on one hand could could label something a success where if it's that same scale is used to measure something else, you wouldn't see it as a success. But they still want to use this scale idea to talk about your spiritual life and my spiritual life. Watch what they do here. So let's take an inventory and apply the scale. How about the Ten Commandments? We should make a real effort to be 10 for 10. Oh, stop right here. Now, right here, they go with the idea that, hey, as a Christian, your goal should be 10 out of 10 of the Ten Commandments. Now, this, again, this has a very clear theological perspective. And the theological perspective is you can do it. You can keep the commandments perfectly. Or is it just that's supposed to be my goal? I don't know. But if that's my goal, you would think then you are, you believe you can. Now, some of you listening, you believe that you can te- keep the Ten Commandments perfectly. I say you cannot in any way, shape, or form because God demands of the Ten Commandments, not just the an external obedience, but an internal obedience. So I'm going to say you're going to fail. They, they, by even putting forth this question, how about the Ten Commandments? We should make a real effort to be 10 for 10. Then it says, what about the 111 verses of the Sermon on the Mount? And again, once again, the implication is we should try to f- follow and obey all those verses uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. But wait a minute. The Sermon on the Mount is the very sermon where Jesus says, be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You're, you can't do that, ladies and gentlemen. You can't. We've been talking about law and gospel. We're talking about sanctification. You can see how these two concepts very much interlink. My theological hypotheses is that it, that the law was never meant for us to ultimately obey it because we cannot ultimately obey it. It was always designed to condemn us. It was always designed to show us our inability so that we would then look for a righteousness that doesn't come from what we try to do or doesn't come from the law. It comes from Christ who kept the law for us. Now, some people don't want to hear that. But they're like, oh, well, then you're saying we can't? I'm, yeah, I'm saying that we can't keep it. I'm just saying we can't. This says, uh, and then there are the 26 details in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21 of personal behavior tutoring us on the transformed life. 
So not only do we have the Ten Commandments, not only do we have 111 verses of the Sermon on the Mount, we have 26 details in Romans 12, 9 through 21. And don't forget the 24 principles plus of truth in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Hey, so in other words, we're supposed to be taking the Ten Commandments, 111 verses in the Sermon on the Mount, 26 details in Romans 12, 24 principles in 1 Thessalonians. We're supposed to take all of that, write it down, and then say, on a scale of 1 to 10, how are you doing? And is that going to help you spiritually? Is that going to, is measuring that going, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because I will tell you that whenever you try to measure your sanctification, Whenever you try to measure it, you will only measure the external without, look, no matter how hard you try. Now, maybe in private, you'll be much more willing to acknowledge. (laughs) I've never done that. Oh, but if only people knew what was going on in the inside. See, on the, I can, I can always pat myself on the back and go externally. I'm, I, I haven't done anything. Now that's good. That, look, I'm not saying that we just throw out the external. That's good. That can possibly protect us from scandal and hurt and pain and controversy. But from a biblical theological perspective, oh, from a, from basically when I compare myself to the law of God, it's like, yeah. Yeah, big deal. You you didn't do the external, but you're so guilty internally. You're so guilty internally. So do you measure that? Typically, we only measure the external. This goes on. We know our salvation is not because we play by the rules. The salvation given is never an award because of our works. Okay, amen. They do admit that. That is good. But here we go. Here we go. But once we are saved... The Lord expects to sanctify, set apart us with a godly quality of life. Now, here we go. Now, they're going to immediately go to a practical sanctification. Once you become saved, then the Lord expects to sanctify, set us apart with a godly quality of life. Now, what is a godly quality of life? What is the bare minimum for something to be considered a godly quality of life? Does it have to be with, can it be considered a godly quality of life if it's still tainted with sin internally and externally? Now in Christ, I am sanctified. My positional sanctification is guaranteed. But I I always find it funny how people will look at our practical lives I want to say, well, that's godly or that's godly. And I'm like, is it ever truly godly if it's, if it's corrupted by sin? I think even as Christians, remember that famous quote that we talked about um, on our study of long gospel? What makes a good work truly a good work? God has forgiven it. God has to forgive even our good works because our good works are, are filthy rags before a holy God. So how can you measure that? They go on to say this. He is counting on us to represent him well. He's counting on us. 
He's counting on us. God is like, I need you to represent me. I need, and this is the, this is kind of the, the idea within the evangelical world. We have to go show these people godliness. But I think what we tend to do is show them a self-righteous external righteousness while we cover up all the dirt. And sooner or later, the dirt gets exposed. And then everyone says, we're a hypocrite. I think it would be better to say, Hey, I'm a sinner saved by an imputed righteousness. And you know what you're still going to see in me? Failure, selfishness, and sin. My salvation is not based on what I do, but what on Christ has done. And guess what? You need the same righteousness that I needed. And it's not because I'm better than you. It's because I'm a sinner just like you. And I need I needed a righteousness that came from something I could not accomplish. But we don't ever want to sell it that way. Now, they give us some scriptures. I wasn't going to look them up, but now I feel compelled. I feel compelled to do so, all right? So let's look them up. Are you ready? They give us 2 Corinthians 5.20. 2 Corinthians 5.20. 2 Corinthians 5.20. What is 2 Corinthians 5.20? Here we go. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this. 2 Corinthians 5.20, I'm making sure I'm looking at the right reference. 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. I do believe we are to be ambassadors. I am. I do believe we're to be ambassadors and we are to be ambassadors and take to, to the people and, and, and present to people a message. And that message is in practice, I'm a sinner in Christ. I'm a new creature. The old is gone. All is new. That is my, and give them the reality of, of our position because of an imputed righteousness, but the reality of what we are in the flesh. But nobody really wants to think that's what we should present. We always have to tell the story that because this is the Christian evangelical mindset. You become a Christian. Dun, 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 dun. Transformation practically. And you're now basically sinless. The only problem is that's not true. Okay. You're still a sinner. You may, you may at times demonstrate more outward godliness than at other times. But the N-word is still very much present. But we always want to put on this facade, these fig leaves, this, this external self-righteousness. They also, they also want us to look at Ephesians 2.10. Oh, I know this one. All right, we know this one. Okay, we all know this one, right? Ephesians 2.10, you know it? Okay, because everyone always quotes it. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I do believe we should. I do believe we should pursue godliness. I do believe we should pursue righteousness. I do believe we should. But the reality is, even in our best attempts, it's going to be a failure. And can we truly measure it? Because again, all we would be measuring is external actions. They also want us to look at 2 Timothy 2.15. 2 Timothy 2.15. Oh, you should know this one, 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I do believe we need to put forth effort, and we do need to rightly divide the word of truth. I do believe that. Once again, how do you measure that? So guess what he's going to do? He's going to give us a scale from one to 10. He goes, so here is my question. 
on a scale of one to 10, how are you doing? This is the go-to. This is the model. This is the philosophy of the evangelical Christian world. You can tell me, again, I would love to get your thoughts. I mean, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, I know you've, I, I've, I have notebook after notebook where I keep, try to keep track of how I'm doing spiritually, how much I'm reading, how I'm doing this, how I'm doing that. What am I doing here? Trying to keep track of all of my time. I don't know how many times I used to, to t- stand behind the pulpit, telling everyone to take out a piece of paper, right? Saying, okay, how many hours are in a week? All right, now let's subtract how many hours for sleep, how many hours for, say, eating, how many hours for work, how many hours for personal hygiene. Okay, how many hours do we have left? Now, out of those hours that you have left, how many of those hours are spent praying, meditating on God's word, listening to sermons, ministering to people? How, how many? And well, guess what? You're not demonstrating that you love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Therefore, you're something is spiritually wrong. Oh, I cannot tell you how many times I used to do that. Because I was taught to do that. You got to measure it. Because, hey, hey, if you're truly saved, because, I, again, I was very much influenced by the lordship mentality. Hey, if you're truly saved, then you'll do this and you'll do this. And if you're not, well, maybe something's not right with your salvation. So then it would be like, hey, guys, based off the times that y'all are acknowledging what you do and don't do, something's seriously wrong. Do you really love God? Are you sure you really love him? Are you sure you really love his word? Are you sure you truly uh, feel like, understand that your purpose in life is to glorify him and not to please self? Do you really realize that you are supposed to be equipped for the work of ministry? But of course, according to what you're showing me, you're not doing anything. See, if you really want to measure it, then you got to go all in. But here's how he wants us to measure it. On a scale from one to 10, how are you doing? Prayer. It just puts prayer. So on a scale from one to 10, one being you barely pray, you don't really pray. 10 being like, man, you live a life of constant prayer. You're basically following the ancient church tradition of the liturgy of the hours. You're doing morning prayer. You're doing afternoon prayer. You're doing evening prayer. You're doing late night prayer. And you're also doing something known as the office of the readings. You are doing all of these times of prayer. This, And if you don't know the liturgy of the hours, it's the way the early church prayed, borrowing from Judaism, set hours to pray using the Psalms. Okay. And then we could go through how they do so. This is still, it, it kind of fell out of practice in the evangelical world and the, and, the, and the non-Catholic world as they tried to rid themselves of anything, quote unquote, touching Catholicism. But really it, it dates back before Catholicism because even in, the, even in the New Testament, you could see that at this hour they were praying because there were, there were set hours that came from Judaism. But um, it, it's still used today in monasteries uh, by the priest. It's still used. And I've got all the volumes for the Liturgy of the Hours. But that the whole goal is there is to set your whole life as a never-ending cycle of prayer. Prayer, prayer, pr- prayer and scripture, prayer and scripture. Do you do that? No, I guarantee you probably don't. So then where would you rank yourself? One to ten. And listen, here's the key. Can you really rank yourself? on how you're doing in prayer, because you know you can be going through the motions and not really praying. You do realize that, right? You do realize you can just bow your head and say words, but it's just, it's just a, 
religious ritual. It's just you're going through a practice. It's not heartfelt crying out, talking to God, setting your mind on things above. So how, do you do you rank yourself based off your uh, your external activity or to the sincerity of the internal person when engaging in the external action of prayer? What what would be the benefit of measuring it? What would be the benefit? Then number two, Bible reading. How are you doing in Bible reading? Now, look, you may be able to put a 10, but I know plenty of people who read their Bible and it's just like reading words, blah, 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 blah. But when it's over, they barely can tell you anything about what they actually read, but they're going through the motion. They're following the Bible reading plan. Now, I'm still not saying, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying, how do you truly rate yourself? Just because you once again accomplished a external action? Number three, Sunday morning. Now, this means now you're measuring your, your commitment to Sunday morning church. You're showing up for Sunday school. You're showing up for Sunday morning. You're showing up physically, mentally, and spiritually prepared, and you are participating. And when church is over, you're meditating and thinking about what was actually preached. In other words, Saturday night, you're preparing, you're getting to bed on time, you're having everything ready to go so that you can show up early, ready, you have a notebook, you have a Bible, you're there to participate, and then when church is over, you literally talk about the sermon and the Sunday school lesson. And then, so that, so how do you measure your Sunday morning? And then Sunday night, how do you measure your Sunday night? Do you show up Sunday night for church, ready to go? And then next, how do you measure your Wednesday night? You say, well, my church doesn't have a Wednesday night or a Sunday night. That doesn't mean you can't do anything for it. That, that doesn't mean that you can't sit at home and listen to a sermon, take notes, participate in something for an hour. So you still could be doing something even if your church doesn't have a service. Godly living. Then they have godly living down. Godly, godly living. How do you, can you measure your godly living? Again, you're going to measure it based off external actions. You're going to probably say, well, I thank thee, God, that I'm not like these other people. I'm not a drug addict. I haven't got an abortion. I'm not a homosexual. I'm not this. But, but is that, is is that the way we measure it? Stewardship. Come on, I want you to take, see now, and I've seen this play out in many churches. Take up all the money to consider all the money that you bring in. How much of that money that comes in? Some of it has to go to essentials, you know, shelter, insurance, you know, clothing, food. Okay, but other than anything else left over, how much of it actually goes to the work of God? How much of it actually goes to your church or to a ministry? How much of it? Are you showing good stewardship of of that? How would you measure that? Next, serving. Do you measure how how well you serve other people? Next, influence. How would you rate your influence? Is it a positive or is it a negative? And then attitudes. How will you measure your attitudes? On a scale one to 10, this this is your typical measuring your sanctification. And then it has this underneath those. So they have prayer, Bible reading, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, godly living, stewardship, serving, influence, and attitudes. Sometimes 
a bit of honesty, or let me, let me read this again. Sometimes a bit of a bit of honest personal inventory can help us determine whether we're heading right or have stalled out. Prayerfully, my thoughts on this are pinned here to hopefully encourage you. Now, how has that worked in your Christian life, that kind of system when it comes to sanctification? Has it motivated your sanctification or has it hurt it? Can it truly measure it? Or did you find yourself measuring in the most fleshly, carnal, external way possible so that you would feel some level of success, even though deep down you knew that that external does not ever match the internal anywhere close, even though we try to convince ourselves that it does? Now, some of you may be on pro You may be on the pro-measurement side. Yes, we need to examine ourselves because the Bible does say to examine ourselves. We need to evaluate. We need to rank. We need to see. We need to see. All right? And you, you can... You could possibly use a scriptural argument there. We could talk about how to possibly interpret that or not, but okay. You may be on the pro team. If you are, I would love to get your best arguments for it. Some of you may be on the anti measurement team. There's no, like, no, I don't think there's anything benefit that comes from trying to measure your sanctification. I don't even know if you can even do an honest assessment of one's sanctification. I don't even know. I don't know how you even measure it. I I just think it will lead to despair, discouragement, despondency, or it will lead to to deceit and self-righteousness because you have to convince yourself you're doing much better than you are. You have to be like, kind of like the rich young ruler. Hey, what do I do to inherit eternal life? We'll keep the Ten Commandments. I've kept them since I was young. And then Jesus has to go, oh, your self-assessment is so funny. That's so cute that you think you've kept the Ten Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And he went away distressed. He went away sad because he had many possessions. He All of a sudden, the reality is, mm, yeah, you don't love your neighbor as much as you thought you did. You love that money. See, it's easy to pretend how godly we are until we're put into a specific situation where the reality can be seen. I don't know how your Christian life is. I lived my Christian life under these measurements. I did. And so what I would do is focus on the ones I knew I could be good. Bible reading, boom, I got everyone beat. Nobody is keeping up with me on Bible reading. I would have put Bible study down because Boom, nobody is outdoing me on Bible study. Boom, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, I got everyone beat. I'm sure, I, I, I don't think I ever miss church. Even when I used to work crazy, crazy hours in the military, I would work at six at night to six in the morning. Guess what? I, I, I would get off work at six o'clock, six a.m. on a Sunday morning, go home, have breakfast, go to church, get home about one in the afternoon, get a couple of hours sleep to go back to church Sunday night. Or, or go back to work, I'm sorry, Sunday night. Couldn't go back to church, I had to go back to work. So basically I would go, you know, almost, and then, and, and those weekends were crazy because on the weekends where I worked 6 p.m. to 6, 6 o'clock at night to 6 in the morning was crazy because I would go to work at 6 p.m. on a Friday evening, get off work Saturday morning at 6 a.m., go home, eat breakfast, go to Bible Institute. Then I was there from like 8 in the morning to about 4.30 in the afternoon, rush home, put on my uniform and go back 
back to work 6 p.m. Saturday night, meaning no sleep, then work all night, six in the morning, go home, eat breakfast to go to church, still no sleep, get home around one in the afternoon, get maybe a couple of hours, maybe a couple of hours sleep, possibly if even that, and then go back and go to work. So basically I would go every other weekend, 72 hours basically with no sleep. But hey, I did not miss church and I did not miss Bible Institute. See, I could be like, look at me. I'm more godly than everyone else. So I, I could pick the things. So my church attendance, boom, I'm on point. Bible reading, on point. Bible study, nobody can touch me. Theological knowledge, come at me. Come on, come on, come at me. I got you. I got... But man alive, there was plenty of other issues going on in my life. I think the whole measurement system is such a, I think all it does is create self-righteousness. I, I, I do believe, put it this way, if you're going to do any measurements, here's what I would say. If you're going to do any of these measurements, you know what you measure? It's kind of like, this, is not, this does not work, work perfectly from a medical perspective. So those in the medical profession, you can correct me what, what I'm about to say. I'm saying that sometimes, and I'm not saying this is perfect, you can judge someone's external look or external ability to somehow say, look how healthy they are. But sometimes the results may be a little different when you're checking blood pressure, cholesterol, you're, you're checking all kinds of, inter- sometimes the internal doesn't match the external. I'm not saying it's always that case, always the case. I know it's not a perfect illustration. I'm just saying that in a sense, spiritually, instead of just looking in the mirror or looking at some external actions, you need to get your blood work done. You need to get some labs drawn. You may have to provide some samples. You may have to do some other things. You have got to look internally. You got to look that if you're really going to ever examine yourself spiritually, don't look to the external action. Look to what you know, your attitudes, you know, your thoughts, you know, your desires, you know, your struggles, you know, your lust, you know, your bitterness, you know, your unforgiveness, you know, your covetousness, you know, you, you know, what's going on on the inside, even though you're going, you know, there's plenty of times you've gone to church and you have no desire to be there. You, you don't even want to be there. You're not even interested to be there. You know, you've sat down to open your Bible and you don't want to read and don't care to read. You know when things are going on. But see, that's the things we don't measure. On a scale one to 10, on a scale one to 10, is that the way to live the Christian life? I remember it as a Christian teen, or as a Christian teenager, when you know, I was a brand new Christian going to youth group and be given these like little like measure this and how are you doing here and how are you doing here? How are you doing here? And I, and I know some of the teenagers would, would give these answers and I'm like, oh, come on now. I know you, you, that's not even close to what's really going on, but you, we can't say what's really going on. When I was a young Christian, I would have eaten that up right there. I would have. I'd have been, I'd have gotten my notebook out. I'd have been like, ooh, on a scale one to 10. All right, prayer. And I would have, I would have measured myself. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do better. I'm going to, you know. But I would have been convincing myself that I was doing better than I was. 
I think it's a perfect discussion for the subject of sanctification. I think it is. You can tell me what you think. I want to say more, but there you go. There you go. I I really want your thoughts. Do do you think this works? Do you think it doesn't work? How, how How many times have you been subjected to this kind of thing? Man, I've seen this with time, telling everyone to measure out their time. I've seen this clearly with stewardship, because typically the stewardship sermons will deal with time. How are you a steward of your time, your talent, and your treasure? Oh, come on, you've, you've, you've heard those sermons. And really, the goal is the pastor wants, wants to convince everyone, you're not a good steward of your time. You need to be dedicating more of your time to the work of God, maybe helping at the church, doing things around the church. Your talent, you need to be using those talents for the furtherance of the kingdom of God to help your church. And your treasure, I don't know if you realize, but you need to bring your, you know, your treasure to the storehouse. And they will say that's the church. And, 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 but it's all designed, in a sense, to show you that you're not doing those things while ultimately the church will benefit. I'm not saying that the motive is always wrong there, but that's what it always leads to. I just don't know if we can truly measure our spirituality through these external tests. I just don't. I just, I, I look, I, I guess you can do so to show you how far you've fallen short so that you will find comfort in the gospel, which is Christ has done it all for you. I don't know. You, you maybe this, maybe this motivates you. Maybe this is good for you. I don't know. You can, I don't know which side you're on. Pro measurement and keep track and chart or pro, I'm just going to rest in Christ and then pursue godliness to the best of my ability. I don't know. You tell me. News, if at yahoo.com. That's news, if at yahoo.com. That's news, if at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great Thursday night. God bless.